Holy, 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 Jesus reigns. Holy meaning God is perfect. The Bible says that his thoughts are higher, his ways are higher as far as the stars, as his thoughts. He's perfect. He's different. You can't look into the world and find someone like God because God is on a league of his own. He's, he's completely separate. And then he calls the people to be separate like him from the world. He purifies us. Makes us righteous in his eyes through the perfection of his son. Puts his spirit in us and begins to transform us and set us apart from the world and make us holy. Turn us into Jesus. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. We serve a very, very powerful, perfect God. This is very comforting in the moments when we need to seek him in prayer and ask for help. Hebrews tells us that we can come to him boldly to find grace and help in our time of need. So I want us together as a church pray uh, for family right now. Many of you know Jen and Jaden Bauma, their son James and their daughter Willow. Uh, he texted me late into the night that they were rushing their son to Helen DeVos, and he's not in a, in a very healthy position right now. Uh, Jaden himself being very sick at home, and as we speak, uh, Jen and uh, their son is at Helen DeVos Hospital. So I really think it'd be appropriate that we go to our holy God right now and intercede as we should as a church for this family. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, you see your people. We are not sufficient in and of ourselves. Life is filled with many moments where we need you to act. And as a church, we are praying for our brother and sister, praying for the Balmas, praying for little James, who's sick and who needs. Uh, you to heal him and help him to get through this very hard and scary time that you'd be with Jen and Jaden that you'd comfort their hearts give them strength even um, Jaden as he's sick at home himself but I know his thoughts and his hearts are with his son who he probably feels powerless to be able to want to just do anything and help God as parents would give her own life for our kids so pray for Jen and Jaden that you help them and you'd protect this boy Protect James. Bring him through this time of sickness and be with them and hear the thoughts and the prayers of your people right now, interceding, being a part of this royal priesthood, doing what you want us to do, and that's to pray for one another. Gotta pray for all of us, even in our times of sickness, for our, our family members that are hurting as well. That God, you would intervene, that you would act. Thank you that we can come to you during these times and be with this family. We pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, church. Good morning, Summit. Good morning, Summit. God is good, is he not? He's good all the time and he's with us. He's with us in every single moment. Ever since Todd taught from Isaiah, And God promising that he'll be with us everywhere we go, through the fire and through the flood, that he will be with us in all of that. Um, I'm very thankful for a God who is all-powerful, 
that extends that strength to all of his people all the time. We are very blessed. We are taking our Bibles and we are opening it up to Titus and we are continuing in our series in Titus, Calibrated, a church that works. Now let me test you. A church that works not for salvation, but You know what? We always need the second time. (laughs) Calibrated. A church that works, not for salvation, but because of salvation. We've given you Titus 2, 11 through 15 to memorize. And that very clearly shows that God has done and brought this work of salvation on his own and he's given it to us freely and he first saves us and then we respond in saying, what would you have me to do? And what he says in the book of Titus and as he says through the whole scripture is I want you to be devoted to good works for my name's sake, for the sake of the world that is lost and dying, that desperately needs to see Jesus in you. So, As we're getting started today, you've seen several videos. I want to introduce you to another video and another one of our own who's going to help us understand calibration. In our daily lives, we come across situations that are unknown or uncertain rather frequently. In chemistry, this is no different. So I teach the basics of analytical chemistry in my courses here at Hope College. And analytical chemistry is all about measuring um, things that are unknown at the time. And in order to measure things that are unknown, we first have to calibrate in many ways. Sometimes we're using equipment, like this pH meter here, and we calibrate it with standards that are known. In daily life, we might reach out to a respected friend, a pastor, an elder for counsel when encountering an uncertain situation. In chemistry, we do something kind of similar by comparing our unknown to another chemical in a reaction. For instance, the sodium hydroxide. However, this chemical needs to be calibrated in order for this comparison to be of any value. If the sodium hydroxide were not calibrated, then the comparison reaction would have very limited accuracy and could potentially even be useless. Similarly, uh, in daily life, if the person that you're getting counsel from is not properly calibrated with truth, then the counsel they give might also be of limited value. So the question then is, how then do we calibrate? In this example, I'm going to compare my chemical to a substance that is known with very high purity and certainty. In this case, potassium hydrogen phthalate, this white crystalline substance here, is very, very pure and known with high accuracy. And the comparison to daily life would be the word of God. So in summary, I start with something that is known with high purity in order to calibrate my chemical, which I'm going to use for comparison to determine something about my unknown. Aren't you thankful for people who are experts in certain fields that if you were to leave me alone with it or any one of us alone with it, it would be like, well, what am I looking at here? And especially when you're dealing with chemicals that can be volatile, that can be highly toxic, calibration is extremely important. And what I love is you have even an example here of someone who's trained and learned in ways that maybe make us scratch our head and say like, uh, phylate, titanium, EA, UA, what are the elemental tables? Someone who knows it 
can come along and help us understand it. Now, in his illustration, Clayton's illustration, he even talked about needing a friend to come alongside and help us in the process, which is where we are in Titus chapter 2, as Paul is introducing the one another ministry. We started with the apostle himself in chapter 1, and then he talks about he's bringing it down to the elders who are to be calibrated himself, then who are now bringing it down to the people. And then what does he start with? Older men we saw last week. Older men are to be a certain way, not unlike the pastors who have to be qualified in a certain way, who have to be a certain way in their character to be able to pass it down to the next generation or the younger or the less experienced, or the immature spiritually. Today, we're going to talk about the women. So uh, buckle up. It is time for us to dive into Titus chapter 2 and talk about calibrated women in the church. And we're looking at the process of God sanctifying his daughters, the way he wants to grow them, and the way he wants to calibrate them. God's calibration process for his daughters. Now let me make, let me add a little, uh, little, a few of my own little words here. I'm very aware that I am a guy speaking about women right now. So what I want to make clear is that women are not being singled out today. We are simply teaching through the book and it's your turn ladies. And I am not being the woman expert, I am being a pastor who needs to teach God's word faithfully. So my process in this is to help us understand the word of God as it pertains to what is good and what it pertains to men and women, younger men, younger women, and then we're going to go into later next week into even servants, bond servants, the whole church, what God expects and what he wants to do to tune us to a standard. So today it happens to be that we're talking about the women. Titus chapter 2. Let's read it real quick. Starting in verse 3, Paul says this, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. We're going to get into the calibration process here in just a second, but let me say this as it pertains to the day that we're living in. Since the beginning of creation and when the serpent came in, he spoke his deception to Eve and they took of the fruit and they ate the very thing that he was doing in the beginning. The serpent who was more crafty than any beast of the field tricking us. And what does he want to trick us with? He wants to trick us and concern to our mind and our conclusions about what's right and what's wrong. And most particular, he wants to trick you into thinking about who God is and what God says. So he takes God's word, he takes God's ways, he takes God's good creation, which he hates with a wrath and a fury that's being poured out on mankind. And he will do anything he can with his trickiness and his craftiness to destroy 
distort and to pervert what God has made. The scripture says that God created the heavens and the earth and he made male and female. And God looked down and he said, it's good when he made just man and woman wasn't on the scene yet. He said it wasn't good. Everything was good except the fact that man was alone, incomplete. So he made woman and it was good and it was complete. And we're talking about the time of the garden which represented perfection. God's creation, which is good. The enemy comes in, hates it, and distorts it. And since then, has been trying to do everything he can to destroy the image of God. Isn't it ironic that you have this book that was written uh, over a course of so many years, so long ago, and yet the very, very thing at the very beginning of the, the book, gender and marriage that God makes in his creation as the as the climax of importance of what he's saying is beautiful and good, marriage and gender being the very thing here almost 6,000 years later under attack. When we see this gender war going on, gender confusion, all of that should validate in our mind that there is a serpent that's more tricky than any other beast at the field that hates God's creation and his image. That means you. He hates male, he hates female, and he wants to do everything he can to distort the image of God. No wonder people are filled with confusion. And we see today that what's brewing in the hearts of man is this ideology and these beliefs that attack gender and marriage and man and woman because we have an enemy who hates God and his ways and he is tricky and more crafty than any other beast of the field and he will distort God's word. Every single one of us are born on planet earth conformed to the world. The Bible presents two. There's God and then there's the world and John tells us that do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That means you become an enemy of God when you make yourself a friend to the world. How do you make a friend, yourself a friend to the world? By adopting its ways, its values, and its beliefs. Jesus shows up as light and darkness and he says, no, this is the true way, the true life, and the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. I've brought you to show you what the real way and truth and life is. All those who follow me will have eternal life life, but there is a war going on. Ephesians tells us that our battle on earth is not physical. It's not flesh and blood. It is a spiritual battle that's at war trying to attack us all the time. And maybe no more potent do we see that war right here and now in our culture and our world than with marriage and gender. So as Paul speaks very specifically to men and women. It's because what a man is and what a woman is has been under attack ever since we were kicked out of the garden and God wants to restore it. And he does it through Jesus Christ and he does it through his church submitting to his will. So, are we ready to get into it today? I'm just trying to set the foundation of why this is so important. Knowing very, very well the triggering nature of what we're going to be talking about. God's calibration process for his daughters 
it starts with two things. Here's what we're going to look at. So let's do some preliminary work. It starts with this. Women in the church who are saved. You're like, Jasper, duh. Isn't that what we're talking about? But maybe not so duh. We need to first show that it is very clear that when Paul talks to Titus and Titus is speaking to the church, he's talking very specifically to the women who have believed the gospel. Let me give you some verses. Look at chapter three. So we're gonna look a little ahead in the book of Titus. Chapter three, look at verse three. He says this, for we ourselves were once foolish, talking about and the way we used to be versus the way we are. And then keep reading with me. He says this, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But look at verse four. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us. He's talking to saved people. Let's get more specific. Talking to women, talking to saved women. Look at verse eight of chapter three. He says this, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things. So now the pastor has the job in Titus. We're gonna see it mentioned several times to insist exhort to teach, to let no one disregard us and what we're going to say as we bring the word of God to insist on these things. What are these things? The things like we're gonna talk about today, the things we've already talked about and the things we're going to talk about. To insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. The calibration process for his daughter starts first with women who are saved, believed in the gospel. And now women, the call from God to you is, I want you to be careful. It means alert to devote yourself to good works. And who God wants you to be is going to be found in his word. And he wants you to pay attention to this. He's gonna give you the good things. He's, he's bringing your mind back to what was good when he created I want to compare this with verse 16 of chapter one. Remember what he said about those who were false teachers. He says this, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. So then you sandwich it with this verse in chapter three that those who have believed in God would be very careful to devote themselves to good works, right? Because our behavior and our conduct is the fruit that we look at to see if our profession is true. And Paul has already shown the type of people who are filled with insubordination and empty talk and wickedness that bring a wrong doctrine that say they love God, but the fruit of their life would say otherwise. And it brings reproach and shame on the name of Jesus, as we're gonna see. And it does not, it does not help people who are younger that needs someone to look up to. So it starts with this women who are first saved. And then, secondly, this, women whose hearts are vertical. You know, we call ourselves Summit Church. The whole point of that name is, is a constant reminder, a, a constant little blip on the radar that's just there constantly saying, keep your eyes up, keep your perspective to heaven, not on the horizontal, on the vertical. Look to where Christ is. Remember who you are. Remember why you're doing what you're doing. Remember, remember, keep that perspective because the enemy's gonna do everything he can to bring your eyes down to two feet in front of you. 
the woman whose heart is vertical. And then we're gonna look at two verses that I want, I want to show you imply that Paul is speaking to people that he believes have vertical hearts. You see, this type of woman will say in her heart two things. Look at verse 10 of chapter two with me. At the end of talking to men, younger men, women, younger men, women, and bond servants, he concludes it with this in, in verse 10 but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. So Paul says that as a motive to do the things he's doing because he assumes that this type of person is saying, I care about my life adorning the doctrine of God. Like clothes I put on, I want people to look at me and see the teaching and the beliefs and the ways of God when they look at me. And knowing that if my behavior is not conformed, my ways and my thoughts are not conformed to Jesus, then I'll be conformed to the world and I'll show something different and other than the beliefs and the teachings of Jesus. But then also look at verse five, which is what we're gonna work down to as we see him talking specifically to women. Verse five says this, that the word of God may not be reviled. It's a woman who says in her heart, I care about my life not bringing insult to God's words. I care about my life not bringing insult to God's words. I care about my life adorning the doctrine of God my savior. Very important. You're talking about a saved person who's believed and now a person whose heart says that I live for my king. What he wants is now what I want. I live no longer for myself, but for him who gave himself for me. Everything that I think, say, or do, I want it to be conformed to him. Yes, I'm still in the flesh. I still have what I want and what I think that I need, but I realize that I serve the living God, and I care if my life brings reproach and insult to his word. And I care if my life adorns and shines the light of the gospel or whether it snuffs it out. The calibration process for his daughter starts with this. Okay, now we're ready to talk about what it grows with. Before we do that, I want us to turn to Luke chapter 14. I want you to hear the words of Jesus. This is not a a sermon for the guys and the children to check out on. This is still referring to all of us. And the heart here pertains to all of us. Talking about discipleship after all, I want to remind you of the words of our Lord Jesus who said this in Luke 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come, come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? 
Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will sit down and first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus says and is clear, if anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Being a part of the church is a very serious thing, but claiming to be a Christian in the world, what you're claiming is, I've given up all of my rights, I've given up my whole life, I've given up everything that I would lay claim to, and I'm laying it at the feet of Jesus, and he is my master now, I serve him Jesus understands what he's asking of us and the things that he asks and commands of us. So when he says, deny self, it's not about you, it's about me. Take up your cross daily. Jesus is saying, I understand that I'm calling you to suffer just like I suffer. The cross is a symbol of suffering. Pick up your cross and then follow me, which means you step where I step, where I've stepped, where I would step, where I have stepped, where I step, you step and step with me. Study the life of Jesus. You'll find one who was completely selfless, who was willing to go through anything for the sake of others. And that's what he did for us. And now he's given us the same task, which is a wonderful privilege. It's purpose, a reason for existing. It's not aimless. And if I'm worth dying for, he's worth living for. And to live for him means I do what he wants me to do. So as we're talking about men and women and you're being asked to do things that will be countercultural, be counter to your immediate thoughts, counter to what immediately comes to your head, you remember, wait, he said that my righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. That Jesus came and he gave a law that was greater, a law of love that's beyond anything the world can comprehend or understand or would do. That's what light is. It shines into a world of darkness because it's different, holy. So, starts with saved women whose hearts are vertical and it grows with this. Let's look at it. First and foremost, it grows with older women who are first examples themselves. Older women who are first examples themselves. Now, you can research and you can find uh, people giving their own opinion about what the age of older would be. Paul talks about older women in the church being 60 or older that are considered widows that are given into the care of the church. Other than that, we're not sure. 50, who knows? But I think the heart of this is women who are more experienced in life, particularly marriage and raising kids. Women who have the experience of marriage for a long time and the process, the full process of raising kids, that would be you. But we could also say anyone who's able to have experience and maturity in a a situation in their life where they can pass it down to someone who's not there yet in that situation. All of us are told to disciple and to be discipled. Older women who are first 
examples themselves. Look what he says here, verse three of Titus two. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. Very important word, very beautiful word. This word reverent is the same word that was used for the priest in the Old Testament when they were alone with God preparing the sacrifices for the people. What you thinking about that? We're talking about authentic worship here. We're, we're, we're talking about a word that speaks to godliness, a devotion to God, a love for God, a, a reverence for God, a respect and a beauty for God that's, that's one of great humility. That in a, like a priest who's alone trying to get his heart and his mind ready to go into the holy of holies to offer sacrifice, knowing that if he goes unworthily, he will be killed and so that, that state of his heart is this reverence we're talking about. Older women who are reverent. But it doesn't just say in heart, does it? It starts in the heart, but they're reverent in their behavior. I mean, what type of behavior would you expect to see with the high priest who's preparing for the day of atonement, preparing the sacrifices? Once a year. I mean, you're talking about someone who's, who's Probably he didn't sleep much the nights before. You're talking about someone who's, who's, it's very hard to get distracted by all the little things of life because there's something so important before them. Someone who's, whose thoughts are consumed with its all ultimate process that will stay God's wrath for all the people. And if the sacrifice is not accepted, God's wrath falls on the people. It's a pretty powerful word, is it not? Ladies, older women, I'm gonna speak specifically to you. Let's say you've, you've been married, you've had the experience of marriage, you have the experience of raising kids. God's speaking to you, he says, I want you, I wanna use you. You are so valuable and so important. Don't let the enemy tell you, you do not make a difference. So important. You keep the gospel going and shining and there are younger women who desperately need someone to look up to and the thing that I'm gonna exhort you and ask and command and say that I want you to make of utmost importance is that you carry this heart of reverence in your heart that expels into your behavior what people see. You are not saved by works but you are useful in your works and your behavior. A reverent heart, reverent behavior. And then then he says this, he's gonna show a little more detailed, especially for the Cretans, what some of this reverent behavior would not look like. He says this, older women are are to be reverent in behavior. And he says this, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. So let's talk about this. This seems so, it just seems so random. It seems like two things that he could say concerning older women and he talks about these two things. Like there's like 20,000 other things I think you could say. Here's what we gotta keep in mind. Paul is speaking directly to the people on the island of Crete. He was there, he knew exactly what they were working with. Remember he talked about the reputation of the Cretans known as evil beasts, lazy gluttons, liars, Right? So I think he's being very specific to specific problems that older women were struggling with. And two things here. Slanderers. 
Maybe you're just, your uh, translation says malicious gossips. It's the same word for the devil. It's the word diablos. It's the word that categorizes the devil who knows that words are powerful. James 3 says that the tongue is set on fire and it's set on fire by hell. The tongue is extremely powerful. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will totally ruin my life is really how we should say it. The enemy is the accuser of the brothers. I mean, you think about the book of Job when the devil shows up to God and he's using his words to reason with God and try to slander Job. He's trying to slander you all the time, accuse you, using his words maliciously against you. Paul says to older women, reverent behavior is not malicious gossip. And the Bible speaks several other times to women about gossip in your words. Not that men are not prone to this. We all can be slanderers, but a tendency in women to use their words maliciously against someone else. Now, this, the intention here is that you're using your words to hurt someone. And sometimes we can even be deceived in that, right? Maybe we can couch it in a prayer. Maybe we can, uh, uh, you know, I'm just talking, you know, but we're talking about others, not with the full story. We're giving details. We're using our words to hurt others. We want others to think about this person like we do. We want people on our side to think about this person as we do. Why would the older women tend to be this way? Because as Paul looked around on the island of Crete, he saw older women who had more time more time, they became busybodies, they became idle, and their life became busy with idle talk and chatter and slander, and it was hurting people. When the world who lives in this type of stuff sees someone say they believe in Jesus, but then their behavior in their mouth is slanderous towards others, what does that do in their mind? Does that shine the light of the gospel, or does that just show more darkness, more darkness? And, and then, but, but what's the implication here is that if these things are not the case, then the word of God will be reviled. What did Jesus say about discipleship, right? You start something, but you haven't thought it through about what God's actually called you to. And then you fall in the process and others mock. What's at stake here is the light of God's word being powerful in the eyes of the world. God wants us devoted to good works because he wants the world to be saved and he's using us. He wants to first change us so we are kind of like the visual of the miraculous for the world. Because the world is unable to stop living these ways. No matter how much they try, they can't control the flesh. But Christians can because they have the spirit and they're yielding to God. Older women, you need to be examples for the younger. Someone that the younger can look up to, reverent in behavior. And if you have the task to train the younger, if you're known for being a slanderer, then the young women will never want to tell you anything because they can't trust you. Then he says this, or slaves to much wine. Right, similar, similar uh, qualifications to the elders, right? You, you see how important this is? It starts the top down, Top down, top down. You know, if I want to learn to play basketball and I could pick anyone in the world to teach me how to play basketball, 
I'm going to choose a professional who's like the expert master at it. And not bat an eye to it. But yet, the enemy has craftily made it in our culture and growing up today where the the older just don't want to associate with the younger and the younger don't want to associate with the older. Right, but when it comes to being a human, when it comes to living on planet Earth, when it comes to being a Christian, wouldn't you also want the masters, the experts training you? You know, it works when it comes to learning to cook, learning to drive, learning to play sports. But when it comes to the most important thing at life, the enemy, of course, has his fingers in there doing everything he can to stop what he knows to be the most important thing for people. The enemy knows he starts seeing people who start yielding their hearts to God. They start denying themselves, picking up their cross daily. Then he's going to start to work. He's going to start to meddle. He's going to start trying to do everything he can in your own life to discourage you and to keep us from this calibration process because it means people will start getting saved. Man, my behavior is that important? Absolutely. How effective was the life of Jesus when he showed up? Just his presence, how effective was it? People flocked to him. The thousands, those who were the most estranged in society came running to Jesus because they found hope in him. And then he says this, not slaves to much wine. You're probably wondering like, man, we still gotta get to the younger women. Listen, we're spending most of our time on the older women because the exhortation is to the older, it's not to the younger. We'll see this. We have descriptions of what the older are to help the younger with. Older women are first to be examples themselves and he says not slaves to much wine. A master-slave relationship, meaning that Wine has become something that it controls you. It tells you what to do. There's no control there. If there's no control there, then that means you're not relying on God for the things that you should be and you're relying on a substance for it. The Bible is very clear that drunkenness is a sin. Drunkenness is of the sin. It's debauchery. It's a sin. There's no excuse for it. Drinking is not a sin, but drunkenness is. No excuse And this type of sin controlling you is not gonna make you effective. Why would these women have turned to alcohol? Why would they have become slave to it? What, idle time? Pains later in life, right? So they're relying on the substance to elder pains and now they rely on it. They need it. They have to have it. It's become excess. It's become debaucherous. And it's not just alcohol. It could be anything, any substance in life that you've turned to that has become the master in your life, something you have to have. You can't get rid of it. You're in excess. It's beginning to control your life. You can't think right. You can't think straight because you're being controlled by a substance and not the spirit. Older women are the key thing in this calibration process and reverent behavior is of utmost importance. Now look what he says here. Older women next who seek to teach and train the younger. I love you guys. Ladies, please bear with me. Um, Older women who seek to teach and train the younger. He says this. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to do a few things and we'll get at it here in a second. Have you ever thought about your life 
as God is calling me, it's not even optional. It's the expectation of being a Christian and an older woman or an older man that God would want me to get involved in the life of the younger and teach them. And specifically about marriage and family. That's, this is the goal here. The family is very important. Kids need fathers, good fathers, and good mothers because what it does is it helps kids learn how to look to and react to their heavenly father. And when you have people who've given in to the, the, the deception of the devil and they abandon their kids or they abuse their kids or they give up on their kids or they make life all about them then the kids are raised and their whole perception of God is distorted because of what they experienced with their parents. And so you need older women in your life who've been an example of this who can now speak into your life. So now younger women, I'm pulling you in. Now we're bringing this world together where the older and the younger come together and they work together. Older women seek to train and to teach and to pour into the younger. Younger women, humble yourselves and and look and say, teach me, train me. I'm still young in marriage. I'm still young in kids and I need help. I can't do this alone. I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to bring insult to the word of God. Which brings us to this final point, younger women who are humbly willing to be trained. And specifically, what are they being trained in? Both family behavior themselves and their family life. So let's look and see what it says. The older women are to train the younger to do two things, love their husbands and their children. Love their husbands and their children. Starts with love, but then it goes into some other things. Then he gets specific to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. So let's look at these first things. First things first, love their husbands and their children. Everything starts with love. The motive of your heart has to be love. If you don't love your husband and you don't love your children, then the next thing that he's asking you to do, well, they'll have no place in your life. They'll be impossible for you to do. A God type of love that says, I'm doing this because I... Others are more important than me. I love my self-controlled. This is why older women can't be enslaved to much wine because they need to be an example of control. Able to control their body. Be masters of it, which was also a qualification of the elders. Disciplined, self-controlled, temperate. Pure. And innocence, unstained, undefiled, right? Because the false teachers were defiled. They're, they're pure, they're, they're saved and inside their heart there isn't secret sin, there aren't things. It's, there's, a, there's a purity within this woman and this person and the people around them, reputation is, and this is, this is someone I can trust, this is someone who's pure, this is someone who loves God, who's not harboring lies and secrets. Kind, just like Jesus, as he says, kind, the loving, the goodness and loving kindness of God, our peer, which means regardless of what the person deserves or don't deserve, there's this gentleness and this kindness being extended to who? Children and husbands. Children and husbands. Love your husbands, love your children. Why is it so important to love them? Because if you don't love your husband, it's gonna be hard to submit to your husband. If you don't love your children, it's gonna be hard to submit and it's gonna be hard to work at home for the sake of your family. So look what he says here. Here's the big, here's the big ones. Here's the ones that I believe are the, the hardest to hear me speak about. 
They are to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, and then submissive to their own husbands. Working at home, what does that mean? Does that mean that a wife can't have a job and a career? No, it doesn't mean that. You look at Proverbs 31, clearly the virtuous woman was busy with trade and craft and career and helping make money. She was busy. But what this does mean is not at the expense of your home. Your God-given priority as a wife and a mother is to be the keeper of your home. Home is important. Home is what we're waiting. We're waiting for a home in heaven. We don't have home now. We have these temporary homes. Very, very important. And the devil wants women to feel like if they just stay at home and care for their family or if they make their family a priority or their home their priority, then somehow they're settling. The devil more crafty and tricky than any other beast of the field. Working at home, busy, right? That speaks into the idleness, right? You, you, you realize there's, there's work to be done for the sake of your family, that God has given you a specific duty as the helpmeet for the husband and the primary raiser of the children while the husband's responsible for the provision. And the Bible's very clear about a husband who does not provide for his family. He's worse than an unbeliever. The wife has her responsibility as well. The wife and the mother must make home a priority. Do you hear me in that? Do you hear me not giving legalistic things to telling you what you have to do, but showing you the heart and the intention of what's being said here? Home cannot be neglected. It's worth making less money for if it means home is taken care of. It's the priority. And then he says this, and to be submissive to their own husbands. Notice he says their own husbands. I thought that was an interesting uh, word in the description. Because the implication there is there was submission in their life, but it wasn't towards their husbands, it was towards other men. Wives, I am a husband. I understand how hard it can be to live with me. My wife, Sarah, is wonderful, but she has to put up with me a lot, show me a lot of grace and patience. But she submits to me. And this word submit is very interesting. The grammar of it is God's not telling you, I'm making you do this. God's saying, I'm giving you a command that has an interesting grammar where I'm putting it on you to be willing to make yourself do this. You're not being forced to. You're being commanded to do it willingly. It's a heart that's, my husband in the creative process of God is the head and I submit to the head and the scripture elsewhere, Paul tells us, like, like the church submits to Christ, so wives submit to husbands. A willingness to, like Jesus, say, not my will be done, but yours, is wives to their husbands. They love their husbands. They love their children. 
they understand that what's at work here is God saying, here's what I want you to do for me. Here's the radical way I want you to live that the world refuses to live. And the world's trying to tell you, don't you dare live like this, right? And they're, they're getting their philosophies and their ideologies weaved into your brain so when you hear the word of God, you vomit. If that happens when you hear me say, working at home, submissive to your own husbands, that's a sign of the tendrils of the devil that have worked its way into your brain. And God is saying, I see it and I want to renew it. I want you to get a place where you see this and it's a good thing. Because what I created is good and best. And the enemy wants you to think about all the disclaimers you want to give to this. But what about, but what about, but what about, but what about, what about, what about? And then God wants you to remember, hey, did I not call you to pick up your cross daily? Deny yourself, follow me. Did I not show you what's at stake here? The word of God will be reviled, will be insulted. The word of God will be mocked on behalf of women who refuse to live reverent, who refuse to control their mouth, who refuse to be controlled by God. Instead, go to substances who, who refuse to make home priority, who refuse to submit to their husbands and they have all the best reasons in the world, all the best reasons that their friends and their family would sympathize with. All the while, God's like, what about me? Have I not called you to be like my son, to deny yourself and live in such a radical way that the world sees that you're holy, that you're different, that the gospel can change you And by the way, it was insubordination that started with the devil. That's how it started. The Bible says that rebellion is of the sin of witchcraft. Very, very important role that women have in submission. The angels even watch women with curiosity and learn because the angels were the ones who rebelled in heaven. I hope you hear my empathy in this realizing what I'm saying. But I believe God's word's best and he's calling us all to lay down our lives for the world that's lost and dying. Judgment is coming and people need to hear the gospel, but they will not hear and believe if our life gets in the way of blocking it out. You better believe a life of you living differently than the world, choosing your home over a career, choosing to submit to your husband even if he's undeserving of it, I'm telling you what, that's gonna make people pay attention. I'll tell you what. But listen, the command here, notice the command that Paul's giving is not to younger women. The command is still to the older women. Older women, you are to help come alongside and teach and train and disciple the younger women in these ways. So you don't have Paul commanding the younger. You have Paul exhorting the older to get involved. This is God's design and his calibration process for his daughters in the church. And then never lose sight of why you're devoted to these good works. Never lose sight. And I'll remind you again of a heart that's vertical. I care if my life brings insult to God's word. And I care if my life is the adorning of the doctrine of God, our savior. Gender and marriage, extremely important. Anyone here tempted to give up on their marriage? Anyone here in the process of giving up on their marriage? Let me tell you this, if you claim Jesus, there is no excuse. Jesus died for you 
and the marriage is the thing that God's given you to shine that gospel. And if you give up on your marriage, you're telling the world, God will give up on you because I'm giving up on my covenant. Stay in it. Love your husbands. Love your wives. Lay down your life for one another. Do not give up. Realizing that there is a greater reason we're called to this. And it's worth it. Jesus Christ died for us. Because guess what's coming after this? What you've been memorizing. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. He's coming back. Who redeemed you from lawlessness to make for himself a possession, his own people who are zealous for good works. And these good works will scream the gospel into the ears and the minds of all of those who are still lost in darkness. You know, the band's coming out and we're gonna sing a song. It's a brand new song. And the song is gonna be repeating this, this phrase, send me, send me. Send me. You know, you think about that in terms of Isaiah saying, who, God saying, who will go? And Isaiah said, send me. And you think about missionaries, right? That's for particular people, particular people who are called to certain parts of the world who are gonna go be a missionary and it's a great calling. This send me is the call of every single Christian. And today for men, for women specifically today, the call is God, send me as an older woman to reach someone who may just be two feet next to me somewhere in this room, somewhere in this church. God, use me, I'm yielding to you. Send me, let my life be known by my love and my love and my character that's conformed to you and then use me to pour into the life and fulfill your desire of me as an older person who has something to offer, something amazing and good to offer. And pray, ask, and seek the heart of God if you're older, to find someone. If you're younger, to be humble and seek someone to disciple you. Can we do this? God's word has been read, church. It's been preached. Let's seek his heart, seek obedience to his will and ask him to help us. Would you stand on your feet? Let's sing.